This is the SPFL 42 show, covering every division in Scotland. Welcome back to the SPFL 42, as always sponsored by the incredible team at Six Yards Out. If you're looking for retro football memorabilia, then Six Yards Out is the place to go. The link is in the SPFL 42 description, and why not go and have a look at what items are there for your side. Delighted to be joined by Laura Bradburn of the Superb Celtic State of Mind. It's been quite the season for Celtic. Um, If we rewind back to to August time in the first show of this season, Andy Ritchie and I tipped Celtic to win the title. We tipped them to win 10 in a row and, and, and get the job done. Unfortunately for, for Celtic fans, it's been a whirlwind season in so many different ways. And, and Laura's here with me today to, to talk about Celtic season and, and where Celtic go next, because it's expected that there will be big changes at the club. Chief Executive Peter Law has announced he'll retire at the end of the season. He'll be replaced by Dominic Mackay. But I think if you judge if you judge social media and you judge message boards, then Celtic fans want more changes than just in the chief executive seat. Laura, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I mentioned the, the, the changes at Celtic, but before we come to any of that, we are recording this with hindsight. We are in late January. What was your opinion of Celtic going into this season? They were able to keep Odson Edward, Christopher Ayer, Olivier and Cham. Were you confident that 10 in a row could be delivered with the squad of players at the manager's disposal? I think um, it's interesting to hear what you said about the predictions at the start of the season because um, I think if you asked Celtic supporters, uh, a lot of them myself included, had reservations going into the season. We, we certainly, since Brendan Rodgers left, we have been a, on a steady decline quality-wise, I think, and, and there was always that feeling of rather than, you know, it's just a case of waiting for the 10, it's it's become more of a can we make it to the 10 before things eventually sort of fall apart. And Unfortunately, it seems a case that, you know, it, it was never destined to happen. Um, it, a lot of reasons for that. I think acquisitions uh, post uh, players of the quality of Kieran Tierney leaving haven't been up to scratch. Um, and and I, I don't think the standards at the club, the professional professionalism at the club meets the standards of, of Brendan Rodgers' time uh, with Neil Lennon in charge. But... You know, there, there, there's a whole lot of reasons uh, that, that could be contributing to it, but it's one of those, uh, I, I think a lot of people saw it coming. If you consider the, the rumours about this next thing I'm about to say, it, it was rumoured that Peter Lowell was influential in hiring Gavin Strachan and putting him on Neil Lennon's coaching staff. Were you in the camp that Neil Lennon should have been able to bring in at least one member of backroom staff who he wanted and he could recruit? I think that's the only way any manager can really be uh, successful and really get across the ideas that he wants to get across is if he has his own backroom staff there. Now, it's all right, I think, in some cases to have a situation where you've maybe got a John Kennedy or somebody of that ilk who has been uh, part of the club for so many years and can be that connection between, between what's what's past and what's new um but certainly you know I, I don't think it should be 
expect uh, or unreasonable of any manager to expect his own his own staff is is part of his deal for coming into the club. Um, and if rumours are to be believed, and like you say, Gavin Strachan has come in uh, because of a decision of somebody other than the manager, then I think that immediately undermines the authority of any manager coming of any manager coming in, whether it's Neil Lowell, uh, Neil Lowell, uh, Neil Lennon, or 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 anybody else. When when you look at, at that situation, I agree. I think the manager needs to have a level of say, definitely in his backroom staff. Also in recruitment, um, when you look at Celtic's summer recruitment, uh, Vasilis Barkas was recruited as, as, as a goalkeeper to replace Fraser Forster, an international goalkeeper, um, has uh, had some level of pedigree, it's fair to say. But the only thing that, that made me even question that at the time was it wasn't the sort of statue of goalkeeper I would expect Neil Lennon to, to look at when you consider that Fraser Forster was... Uh, a sort of homegrown uh, UK-based player who had been at the club before. He was, he's around six foot seven in height. He's got a really good build about him. And then when you look at Barkas's recruitment, he was a very different goalkeeper. And going into to such an important season for Celtic, it was it was quite shocking, um, I, I felt, to, to completely change tact in that. And even more so when you consider that David Marshall was offered to the club and David Marshall, I know this because I know someone who worked with him when he was at Wigan, he was willing to take a pay cut to come to Celtic and play for this season. When you look at that, does that suggest that not only with backroom staff, Neil Lennon didn't have the final say, but maybe even with recruitment, he didn't have as strong a say as you would expect for the head coach or manager of Celtic? Well, I think we've seen that going on with previous managers as well. One of the other famous examples to have of that is Brendan Rodgers. The the minute we signed uh, Marion Shved, the Ukrainian player of the year, I think he was domestically when we signed him. The first thing that uh, Brendan Rodgers said in the following press conference was, uh, we don't need any more wide players. Uh, so that suggests that he didn't make that decision which uh, given that nobody above the managerial level has changed for a long period of time, suggests uh, Neil Lennon's not making those decisions either. Um, I feel sorry for Barkas in a lot of ways because, you know, he can't do anything about the money that was paid for him. Five million pounds is a lot for a for a Scottish club to pay for, for anybody, never mind the goalkeeper. And he can't really be held responsible for that. He also can't be held responsible for the fact that, you know, there will be a major cultural change associated with moving to Greece, from Greece to Scotland, as there would be at the best of times, never mind in the middle of a global pandemic where he's not free to travel back and forth. His family are not free to do that either. And even living in the country, he's not able to socialise with his new teammates outside of training and outside of work in the way that he normally would. So, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, external obstacles that have maybe stopped him settling in what hasn't helped as far as that's concerned uh, as well is Neil Lennon's handling of the situation uh, he's, he's at various points for anybody who doesn't follow the, the Celtic press conferences quite as uh, as closely as, as fans do he's, uh, he's chopped and changed the goalkeeper multiple times um, Connor Hazard played in the Scottish Cup final, having only played two or three games before that. Scott Baines, the number one now, having only three weeks ago, Neil Lennon declared that Barkas would be the number one going forward, only to then come out in an interview the other night and say he hasn't settled and he doesn't think it's working for him. So there's an inconsistency when you look at that single position on the team. 
that must uh, that must reflect the kind of management that's going on throughout the team, and it's just not really um, indicative of any kind of good squad morale being built by the way that these players are being treated. The the first couple of questions I've deliberately started um, by sort of questioning Neil Lennon's power because I didn't want this to be just you and I looking at Neil Lennon and putting the blame on him for absolutely everything with Celtic this season. Mm-hmm. However, it is very fair, as, as we'll go on to discuss, that Neil Lennon hasn't necessarily held himself in a great light in, in, the, coaching, in the coaching element of, of his job because he's someone who, fairly or unfairly, I don't see him in the training field every day, so I, I can't comment on this for sure, and, and I don't think you, you, you can either, but we do yeah. hear stories that Neil Lennon isn't the most um, tactical manager. He's more of a man-manager, a motivator, and he delegates the coaching to members of his staff. Part of me at the start of the season wondered, was Celtic's tactical shifts from playing a four at the back to then a three at the back with a three-five-two? was that a way of him trying to showcase that he had tactical flexibility and maybe try and answer critics with that? I, I could be wrong with that, but he changed tactics an awful lot in those first two months, three months of the season in particular, what do you think that was down to? Is it quite simply him trying to experiment with the players that were brought in this summer, given to him or from himself? Or was it just a case of a man who, as I say, was trying to maybe answer some critics and say, look, I've got tactical flexibility here? I think there's a there's a couple of things going on as far as that's concerned. Um, he, he changed the tactics uh, based partly on the fact that the original ones he was playing were not... Uh, we're not yielding results. We were going out with one striker up front against, with all due respect, uh, teams that we really should have been beaten. And I think we're going into games with far too defensive a, a mindset. And I say that with all, all due respect to other Scottish clubs, because I think, you know, I think a lot of Celtic fans have got a bit of stick for maybe not being as respectful of Scottish clubs uh, as we should be. And, and you know, that the, the current situation has been born out of a lack of respect. But I mean, I think from the fans' point of view, we are frustrated because we do recognise the danger that is uh, faced to us by a lot of the teams in the league. Um, But I think the tactical changes were made firstly out of, you know, just trying to find some way to to spice things up, to to get the the team back in, in some sort of form. The other thing I think is just that he's become a bit known for being a bit of a tinker man and making random changes that you don't always see the see the the logic behind you know Turnbull and Sorrow coming in was kind of out of the blue um thankfully it, it put us on a six game run that uh proved to be effective um it's kind of, the effect of that is kind of dwindling off now but there's also statistics that show we've had something like 33 different um starting 11s in the last 36 games or something like that you know and it, it's just indicative the tactics the lineups everything is just indicative of a mindset and a turmoil inside the club of we don't know our strongest 11 we don't know our strongest formation we don't even know at this point who our number one goalkeeper is. And, and you know, I don't think between any amount of Celtic fans that you had on the podcast or if you asked them on Twitter, the, the famous Martin and O side, even the Brendan Rodgers invincible side, um, and going further back than that, 
there's always been an, a set of 11 players that you could name from the back to the front who were the strongest 11 with, with adequate replacements coming in. Neil Lennon's tenure, there, there isn't that available. That, 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 that is true. And, and you mentioned earlier the fact that as a Celtic fan who follows the club home and away, you also follow the, the press conferences and the words that are spoken from both players and management very closely on a, on a daily basis. What was your initial reaction when Celtic exited um, Europe early and uh, from the Champions League early and Neil Lennon said, I don't think some of these players want to be here anymore? Because at the time, that was the first time for me where alarm bells were ringing. You, you, I think back to the Dundee United performance. I know Ayeti scored. It was quite a flat performance. And after those comments, it just, it just made me as an observer feel feel uneasy about the situation because in such a big season for any club um it, it was a strange thing to say and put out there in the public domain i think there's two things that anybody who takes an approach like that in a press conference is hoping for uh one would either be that the players he's alluding to who don't want to be there perhaps at that time he was thinking with the extended transfer window into october because of covid uh he was maybe thinking well some of these players i don't really care i'm i'm, I'm having my partner shot at them before they're out the door the problem with that obviously is if they don't go out the door you're left in a situation where there's a breakdown in communication and relationship between the the manager and the, and the player the other reason he might have done it is he didn't expect the players to leave the bit that it might give you them the kick up the backside that they need to uh, to kick on and show that they want to be there and show that they deserve to be there and that they they are willing to fight for for the shirt. Um, but part of making that sort of play in, in public is uh, that you have to know your players inside out and know the ones that are going to respond positively to that because you're taking a massive gamble if you take as an aggressive approach as that in public and uh, you're not sure that the players you are referring to are going to react well um, and it doesn't seem like for the majority of the players concerned that they did react well instead of getting the response that he wanted um, or for the players that he wanted to leave leaving uh, very little change thereafter and there seemed to be a down in the tools so that's how these types of uh, situations can backfire on you and you have to be very careful before you take that kind of approach you, you certainly do and, and another thing that Neil um, has bemoaned this season and, and and listeners to this may say rightly so is, is, is the sort of Covid situation and how that's impacted Celtic you consider the first Glasgow derby of the season and Celtic were impacted with players who had went away on international duty. It was something that as a manager, especially going into a game of that magnitude, you don't want to affect you. But but when you look back at that, as, as difficult as that is, could, was that any excuse for the performance on the day where the club lost 2-0 at home? And, and let's be honest with you, didn't, didn't really put up much of a fight on the park until it was too late. I mean, no, because to be honest, any time, whether you're talking about the derby earlier on in the season or the post-Dubai matches, as much as the squad has been decimated by, by COVID and by, by players having to isolate or having caught the, the virus itself, you know, we actually ended up putting out relatively strong teams even despite that, you know, teams that may have otherwise played even without the restrictions that were placed on us. 
So to me, it's not a huge excuse. The only way in which it could have significantly affected us outside the, the matches is obviously that the players weren't able to train. They weren't able to maybe get tactical advice and instruction uh, as constantly over that period between uh, between games. And um, obviously their fitness would have suffered as a result as well without being able to do the high level of fitness training they'd be able to if they were actually at the training ground. So the lineups, I feel, didn't affect us greatly. Um, but the training and, and everything else associated with that might have done and that, and we might actually still be seeing the after effects of that at the moment. I have to say, though, being on a podcast where there's maybe a slightly um, larger listenership than, than just Celtic fans, I would say most of the Celtic fans I've spoken to, myself included, were absolutely mortified when Peter Lawwell came out and said that COVID had affected Celtic more than any other club. I mean, that's... I don't need to tell anybody listening to this that that is utter nonsense. You know, they, they, we may have been affected more than any other club in terms of uh, having to isolate and having to um, protect ourselves from players catching the, the, the virus, but we brought that on ourselves from going to Dubai and then Dubai itself is, a, is an instance and an example of a situation where we are not suffering as much as other clubs. We still are financially financially very, very stable. We are going to see through this pandemic and exist thereafter. And then there are, there are a lot of clubs in the country who won't be able to say the same thing if things don't return to normal uh, sooner rather than later. That's a great point. And, and you, you've mentioned Dubai there, and I know it's been talked about so, so often in, in, in the media um, and, and through every sort of platform available. I wouldn't dwell on it too much, but as a Celtic fan, what was your reaction to the photos that came out? Neil Lennon said it was it was disgraceful that these photos were used against them and that players are allowed a beard by the pool on a day off and it wasn't a jolly. He was very insistent that Andy Walker's words, the word jolly was was not not what it was. What, what, how did it make you feel sitting sitting watching Celtic in Scotland, unable to see family and friends the way you normally would go and do that, especially after a after a, a defeat to, to Rangers and especially after the pressure that Neil Lennon had been under post-Ross County, albeit he had obviously won the, the Scottish Cup from last season at that stage? Well, I'll be completely honest. It was it was frustrating. It was upsetting. It was uh, a bit of a slap in the face to the fans that are, are like you say, sitting at home in, in situations where um, employment is, is a problem, uh, getting money in, putting food on the table is a problem for an awful lot of people. Celtic pride themselves on being a club that is, you know, there to support the community, there to support the less fortunate. And yet in a situation where the less fortunate are suffering more than ever, they're on a, a luxury getaway. Describe it what you like, a training camp or a, a jolly, as Andy Walker said, whatever you want to say. It just, it just didn't look good for the club. And I say that um, taking aside the, the league performances and the position in the league, you know, a lot of people were saying, imagine having a beer when you're 23 points behind in the league or whatever the gap was at the time. I, I don't actually have a problem with that. I don't even have a problem with them doing the training camp if they were behind or or if they were ahead, whatever the situation is. The, the main issue I and a lot of Celtic fans had was doing it in the middle of a global pandemic, regardless of the performance we've had this season, it just showed such a lack of awareness, such a lack of um, 
respect for the situation that was going on and what frustrated people even more was that in the initial stages of coming back and then even after Peter Lobo's uh, questionable apology um, Neil Lennon coming out and, and defending it again um, you know instead of just coming back and holding their hands up and saying we shouldn't have gone we shouldn't have done it we realized the error um, it was not something we should have done they came back and started uh, having a go at the Scottish government, having a go at other teams in the league, having a go at anybody who was uh, objecting to what they had done. And that just made this situation 10 times worse. They should have just come back and said, we shouldn't have done it. It was a mistake and we're sorry. And, and that would have put it to bed a lot quicker than it was. Absolutely. And I think the the inconsistency of having an apology, then having the manager double down on it was 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 definitely a, a strange a strange reaction from, from the club. In terms of the PR at the club this season, it's been it's been quite strange. There was the, the statement talking about a January review. We're speaking today on the 31st of January. Um you could argue obviously that Peter Lowell is, is retiring, but I don't really think that's what the said review was 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 going to be referring to. Um, you consider the the form Celtic are in at the moment. I think it's eight wins and twenty four games. That that's form, and I've argued this with, with friends of mine. That's form that if you're the Morton manager, if you're the Dumbarton manager, if you're the the Elgin manager, would put you under a lot of pressure. Alex Dyer lost his job yesterday. Nobody likes to see people lose their jobs. That's one thing that I, I, I think people are getting sidetracked with. I think people think Celtic fans and neutrals are desperate to see Neil Lennon lose his job because they love seeing people suffer. No, that's not it at all. It's simply a fact in football that if results don't go your way, if you're winning a third of your games with the size of budget, the Celtic have that there has to be a change somewhere and for Neil Lennon his press conference yesterday was worrying he spoke after the game to to, to PLZ amongst other members of the media and he had this to say honestly at the minute yes I would say so I think they have done for quite a while this season this is a real test of adversity and you've got to show strength you know I want to show strength but I need some response I need some you know support from performances from players you know there's too many of them have um, been insipid this season to say the least and certainly this season that has been sadly lacking for whatever reason maybe the uh, the pressure of doing the 10 has been too much for them I don't know maybe they've just got tired of winning or tired of playing in Scotland or tired of living in Scotland I don't know that's a you know a question you need to ask them so he came out yesterday with that that statement after, as I say, winning a third of his games recently, to say that I think the players may be sick of winning. They aren't giving me enough back. I think some of them might even be fed up of living in Scotland. If you ask me honestly, um, and again, I, I hate to, to criticise people. I never want to get personal because that's not what, what any of us are here to do. But that comment and that attitude yesterday seemed to me like a man who knew he had lost the dressing room, who knew he had lost the respect of his players, and I think, really, he basically was coming out yesterday, putting putting a lot of blame at the players' door and saying, look, I've done all that I can. You, you need to ask them the questions. And and ultimately, if you ask me, I think now there has to be a change. And you guys on a Celtic State of Mind covered this yesterday very well. I don't think you can come out with comments like that 
and then walk back into the dressing room and expect to, to command any form of respect from your players. I think if, if you're a player who's hearing your manager say you're sick of winning, you've let them down, and you probably don't like living in this country anymore. I think that's a, a, a you talked about slap in the face earlier. I think that's a massive slap in the face face to to a lot of the players in that dressing room. It's more than a slap in the face to the to the players in the dressing room. I think to make specific reference to maybe they're tired of living in Scotland is a, is a slap in the face to the supporters. This is our country. This is our home. This is where we live. And not to get too, you know nationalist about it or whatever but you know it's 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 frustrating uh, and it's it's insulting for them to even bring that up as a potential reason for why they're not playing well because the immediate response of any fan listening to that is to say what why would they not have a why would they have a problem living in Scotland why would they why would that be an issue for them performing uh, the way they're supposed to perform and it just and whether it is true or not i think what it shows is that he is he, he takes a fire hose to some of these uh, these press conferences and he doesn't really care who gets wet in the meantime with, with the things that he says he he, he makes statements and uh, doesn't think of the repercussions of his statements at times and i think that was just another example of that um also you know quite a silly thing to say considering we don't have an insignificant amount of Scottish players in our squad so I hardly think that, that the majority of them have a problem problem living in Scotland and it, and as uh, as Paul John said on Celtic State of Mind yesterday when we were discussing some of the comments that were made you know the, the newer players certainly can't have an issue with it surely because they've not had time to experience it properly and understand what it's like to live here so you you can't think that for any of them that, that it's an ongoing issue it's just indicative like I said of, of a man who's who's grasping at straws and, and doesn't really care who he hurts or insults in the process. Two things I want to discuss before we talk about the future and Peter Loyal's retirement I want to discuss first of all Jeremy Frimpong. Neil said um, the player made it want made it clear he wanted to leave. Uh, I don't think it's about him being unhappy. It's about him being ambitious. Uh, again, as as a Celtic fan, what do you make of a manager coming out publicly in the January transfer window and basically saying, "I've got certain players who are ambitious, and to be ambitious, you have to leave Celtic." That to me, it reminds me of David Moyes at Manchester United when he infamously said we need to strive to be like Manchester City. A, a big element of the Manchester United fans that day thought you, you might that might be a, 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 a reality, but you just you would never say that publicly representing Manchester United. And for me, Neil Lennon's comment that he's an ambitious player and to be ambitious, he's implying you have to leave Celtic. That was something I didn't expect to hear a Celtic manager say. Yeah, I don't think any I don't think any Celtic fan is sitting here thinking that a move to a to a top Bundesliga side isn't a step up for a young player. I mean, it obviously is. He'll be playing against a better quality opposition week in week out. He'll he'll probably have a chance to work under uh, uh, one of Europe's sort of very uh, well thought, most well thought of coaches in Peter Boss. They've they've made 
acquisitions uh, of other young players that they're really building an identity and a, and a philosophy going forward. I can understand why he as a young player would want to go there and I don't think any Celtic fan grudges him that. But like you say, there are certain things that as a representative of Celtic Football Club, you should just never say. You should never imply that to leave Celtic Football Club uh, is is because you've got ambition that suggests that you couldn't fulfil it at Celtic. It's 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 about um, always putting your own club first and always talking your own club up. And that's if there's anybody that's going to do that, it should be the Celtic manager. Celtic fans, like I said, aren't naive, but we don't need the manager himself to be saying these types of things. Because if he's saying that, uh, you know, what are players or, or other people looking in thinking if they think, well, their own manager doesn't believe that they're they're a top club to be at so why would I want to be there it's it's I hate to use the phrase but it's about optics it's the same as the situation with Dubai whether there's a moral or a a, a legal or a whatever type of uh, stance you want to put on it sometimes it's just about not saying or doing things regardless of the truth behind it because it just looks bad just on another situation um I want to talk about Shane Duffy I'm going to be very honest and say, and I know Shane Duffy wouldn't want anyone to feel this for him, but <clears throat> I'm at a stage where I feel nothing but actually sorry and pity for him now. I feel, I just feel like him being put in the in the firing line week in, week out and the starting 11 isn't doing anyone any good. He's clearly going through a, the toughest spell of his career by, by far. He struggles to get through a 90 minutes at the moment. <clears throat> pardon me, without making a, a high-profile error. You can tell his confidence is shot. You can you can just see in his body language that any time he makes a mistake, it's that look as if, oh, no, it's happened again, and I need to try and rectify it. And sometimes that might involve lunging into a tackle, um, as we've seen in, in, in previous games, or trying too hard that it leads to another error. Do you think there has to be a responsibility now for Neil Lennon if he's going to continue as Celtic manager to the end of the season to to try and come to an agreement where Shane Duffy can return to Brighton and maybe get a fresh start elsewhere, or he just needs time out the team. Because as I say, watching him yesterday, I, I, it's I find it hard to get angry with him now. Um, watching his performances, I, I, I look at it and I, and I feel, as I say, I feel I feel sorry for him because I just I just look at a guy who is clearly struggling mentally. That must be having an impact on him as well, and. As I say, for, for his good, I think he needs he needs a fresh start away from Celtic or he needs to be out the team for a few weeks and to try and regain some level of confidence because this is not doing him or the club and the first team uh, 11 any good at all. Yeah, I think like you say, um, when he first came in uh, and he scored a couple of goals and he was looking reasonably, reasonably good bar a couple of... Uh, singular errors I think Celtic fans were initially thinking maybe this is the answer to the problems that we have as time's gone on uh, there's been a kind of uh, going through the the emotional stages of like you say frustration then anger and now I think it's just pity because there are a multitude of reasons why he might not be playing at his best I know he, he lost his dad recently and you know, again, he's he's struggling perhaps with the pandemic as we all are, and um, particularly moving to a new city, to a new club uh, under enormous strain, uh, and not being able to have his family there with him. Anybody would struggle with that. Um, but like you say, you're in a situation where uh, 
he can do no more than he's trying to do if he's not up to the task either mentally or physically then all he can do is play when he's asked to play and 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 do his best to do the job there comes a point where you can't hold him singularly responsible for his for his uh his performances because it then becomes the responsibility of other members of staff at the club to observe it to assess it and to remove him from the firing line and the fact that that hasn't been done is just indicative of a, of a, a culture going on at the club just now that appears to be uh, everybody is only worried about their own situations and, and is only interested in, in doing what they feel is right for their own positions. And, and there doesn't seem to be a collective responsibility there for any individual to protect them or to, to support them. I'm going to ask you the one million dollar question um, as we as we conclude here, and and I apologize, apologize in advance for putting this in in your direction. But Peter Loyal has announced he's retiring. Dominic Mackay will replace him as Celtic's chief executive. As we as we sit here on the thirty first of uh, January two thousand and twenty one, we know Celtic are, are well behind in the league. They're out of this season's league cup. The Scottish Cup is still there, albeit we don't know if it'll be played because it's been it's been pushed down the line by by the relevant authorities. How does Celtic go about getting a rebuild in place? In your opinion, what would you like to see happen? What do you think is realistic? Um, for Celtic in terms of getting this rebuild right. It could be an interim management team. And then obviously the big question is this summer, what should happen this summer to drive Celtic into next season and the seasons beyond? I think uh, skipping ahead a little bit to when Dominic Mackay actually takes over, um, we've talked about it on a Celtic state of mind. He's got a communications and public affairs background. Uh, we all know that the communication between the club and, and Celtic fans uh, this season has been uh, almost non-existent at times. And when it has come around, it's been pretty appalling in nature. You know, there's there's been uh, inferences from some of the statements that Celtic fans are acting entitled. There's been, uh, you know, complete denial of some of the issues that are going on at the club and and an unwillingness to take on board what Celtic fans' concerns are. What I would like to see him do uh, as one of his first tasks is, is try to rebuild that relationship with the fans. Uh, he's obviously got skills in that area and uh, he, he needs to utilise them to kind of um, make the Celtic fans feel heard, take on board concerns, and while he doesn't have to act on all of them, at least give us reasons why he isn't doing so. You know, it's all very cloak and dagger at the club at the moment, and we would just like a bit clearer communication about if if we ask for something and you can't deliver it, please tell us why you can't deliver it. Or at least if you can't tell us why you can't deliver it, give us a good enough uh, alternative reason that, that will satisfy, you know, the, the, the concerns that are going on. Uh, in the more immediate term, I don't see what good uh, keeping Neil Lennon in the job is at the moment. Uh, even a caretaker manager at this point might be able to offer a fresh perspective and a fresh input that might just give us a slight boost towards the end of the season. Um, and that uh, that would be my preferred option. Uh, I would thank Neil for his service and for everything he's brought to the club. That can't be denied, but... You know the the way the way the club and and Neil himself have handled themselves this season is just indicative that it's all all a, a little bit 
uh, beyond repair and uh, therefore I don't see any point in dragging it out any further. Just um, on the caretaker, um, would that be someone within the club in your opinion, a John Kennedy or a Stephen McManus or would you bring someone in from outside maybe like a Gordon Strachan for instance? I mean I'm at the point with caretakers where I don't see the situation getting much worse than it is so it wouldn't really particularly bother me I think I think John Kennedy's got a bit of an unfair um he's been lumped in with some of the failures that have gone on this season when he was as much a part of the successes of Brendan Rodgers era as he is the failures of Neil Lennon's era so if he ended up caretaker manager I wouldn't want him I wouldn't want him anywhere near the post full term uh but I think in the immediate term while we sort something else out um, I, I wouldn't really mind if it was John Kennedy or, or, or Stephen McManus or another staff member at the club. What has to be happening in the meantime is there has to be discussions ongoing with Dominic Mackay to identify a permanent successor, somebody of high quality, somebody who will uh, excite the fans and somebody who will hopefully bring success back to the club uh, as quickly as we appear to have lost it. In terms of a realistic long-term appointment, Names such as Eddie Howe have been mentioned, um, Rafa Benitez, Mark Hughes. Um, I know Jack Ross was linked, but I, I, I highly doubt he would even be in the running for a caretaker manager given his recent form. Um, long term, who do you think would be a realistic option that would inspire you as a Celtic fan? I know Sean Maloney's been mentioned as well. He is a, a rookie in managerial terms, but he has worked with Roberto Martinez, of course. I think Sean Maloney's a bit of a, an, an example of where we've gone wrong in the past. Uh, as Celtic, we tend to rely too much on people's previous connections with the club and, and ignore their uh, their actual credentials for the job. We've got a manager just now who, let's be honest, would not be anywhere near the post either the first or second time he came into it had it not been for his previous connections with the club. So I would be reluctant to put uh, Sean Maloney in charge because I think that would uh, take us down the same road. The ideal dream appointment for us, uh, in my opinion, would be Rafa Benitez. Uh, he did a lot of good under a lot of uh, adverse circumstances at Newcastle United. Uh, and we all know the success he had with Liverpool as well. Um, and he steadied the ship when he came in on a caretaker basis at Chelsea as well. So he's got a, you know, an unbelievable track record, even going further back to sort of 20 years ago in his time at Valencia. And he's still very much... a, a a revered name and rightly so in European football. The only stumbling block as far as that's concerned, I think, would be finances wise. Uh, uh, there's a lot of, you know, figures flying about about how much he was on when he was in China. Uh, and if they are to be, be believed, it's not something that I think Celtic could match. But, you know, I, I think for a man in his position who's as, as wealthy as he must be now, um, I would only assume that uh, he's, he's come back from China because he's looking for another challenge. And so maybe finances, fingers crossed, wouldn't be everything to him. Uh, and maybe if you actually spoke to him and got him in the door and uh, and explained the vision going forward and, and what's there to be worked on at the club, uh, then maybe you could convince him to, to at least give it a go. And that, that would be my ideal appointment anyway. With Benitez being an ideal appointment, um, there's been, I know Paul has been very passionate about this on a Celtic state of mind. Peter Loyal for many years has 
the inference has been that he's been involved in footballing matters in re- relation to transfers and negotiations. How important is it, in your opinion, that Celtic can hire a sporting director or a director of football, whatever title you want to give it, to be a buffer between the manager and Dominic Mackay rather than have the old-fashioned approach of CEO and manager? Because other than Manchester United down in England, not a lot of clubs operate with that model anymore. Yeah, I think... uh... I think that's definitely the way to go going forward because I think that's been the critic that's been the main criticism of Peter Lowell and his reign. He's undoubtedly brought us a lot of success, uh, both on and off the pitch in terms of trophies and, and and then financial security. I mean, he's one of the best in British, if not European, football at delivering, you know, a balance sheet that is uh, in good health. So we can't uh, we can't fault him for that. But that is because that's where his expertise lies. His expertise does not lie in a football acquisition or anything to do with on the park. Uh, and that's where a director of football could be the person to go to for the for the for the manager and be that that buffer. Um, I think I think what that would prevent is obviously somebody in Peter Lowell's position getting involved in a side of the of the club that they don't really have expertise in. And it would also prevent uh, the kind of breakdown in relationships that we've seen previously. I think Brendan Rodgers probably left in hindsight because of a breakdown in that relationship, as did previous managers. And perhaps having a more uh, on-the-field, football-minded, director of football-type person there uh, to, to be that buffer, like I said, would just mean that that each person at the club has a well-defined role um, that they're able to stick to and deliver uh, to their fullest potential without getting involved in parts and aspects of the club that they, that they don't need to be involved in or shouldn't be involved in. It's definitely a, a fascinating uh, discussion. It's definitely going to be a fascinating few months ahead. Laura, thank you for joining me. And and for everyone listening to this, you can follow Laura on Twitter at lbrad88. And if you are Celtic-minded, then why not listen to a Celtic state of mind? There is daily content for Celtic fans there that is free. Laura is part of the team that's led by Paul John Dykes. Um, Colin Watt contributes, um, as, as do so many other superb um, analysts, both male and female. So if you're looking for Celtic content, a Celtic state of mind is the place to go. Laura, once again, thank you so much for joining me. No, that's great. Thanks for having me on.